Edwood Community Radio, KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM and HD1. KMUE Rika, 88.1 FM and HD1. KLAI Laytonville, 90.3 FM on the web at kmud.org. And a shelter cover at 99.5 on FM translator K258BQ. 7 o'clock. Stay tuned for Ask the Herb Doctor. Welcome to this month's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray. And my name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. For those of you who've uh, perhaps never listened to the shows before, they run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m. with questions and a live call-in from 7.30 until the end of the show at 8 o'clock. As has become the custom here, we have Dr. Raymond Peake joining us, and this month's topic is going to be the topic of... uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth with an overview of uh, gastrointestinal motility and the common problems that many patients experience from uh, chronic constipation through to diarrhea and some of those things that can be used to diagnose and some of those things that can be used to treat. Uh, the number, if you are interested in calling in from 7.30 on 707 once again, 707-923-3911 from 7.30 through to 8 o'clock. So once again, uh, we're very pleased to have Dr. Raymond Pete join us and to share with his expertise. So Dr. Pete, are you there? Yes. Hi, Dr. Pete. Thanks so much for joining us this month again. So um, for this June episode, uh, June 2021, just for posterity. Uh, would you let people know your academic and professional background for perhaps those people who tuned in just now who may not have heard of you before? Um, I was studying and working in humanities, literature, painting, various schools, and I decided to go back to graduate school in uh, biology, physiology, uh, in uh, 1968, and got the PhD at University of Oregon in 1972, uh, and since then have been doing uh, uh, writing uh, about uh, physiology and uh, counseling uh, individuals and doctors uh, about hormones and physiology and nutrition. Okay. Uh, I know there's uh, a wealth of information on your website, which we will give out at the end of the show for people who want to find out more about you. Um, having 
having been guided by it for 11 or 12 years now, um, I was just thinking over the previous years that we've done radio shows with you and spoken with you, uh, and having been very interested in the gut as a seat of good health, um, the ancients always talked about um, the, the seat of health being the digestion and assimilation, uh, and back in the very early times, you know, with the four humors and diagnosis of the disease that was used, um, the rudimentary alimentary tract and its assimilation of food and excretion of waste has long been connected with health and ill health. And um, I wanted just to go over uh, what is known now. Uh, I think it has been for maybe 20 years, but maybe only in the last five years uh, has there been a significant increase in the uh, diagnosis of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth as a defined pathology which people suffer with. And over the last 20 years, I've certainly um, spoken and consulted with a lot of people with gastrointestinal disturbance, either ranging from constipation or diarrhea or alternating uh, IBS-type, uh, irritable bowel syndrome-type um, digestive complaints. And I know you've mentioned for many different uh, pathologies serotonin as being a causative inflammatory mediator and uh, that's also been very enlightening in terms of serotonin uh, in the common conception or the media conception uh, that most people know about serotonin they think there's a positive hormone and actually it's very inflammatory so um, I'd like to question you and get your uh, feedback on your understanding of the pathogenesis uh, and development of SIBO and just to say that they classify at this point in time uh, under SIBO C for constipation and SIBO uh, D for diarrhea and there's a, a list of uh, a list of foods called the FODMAP uh, guide to which I'd like to ask questions also because I know that some of the foods uh, you're very interested uh, and specific with dietary requirements for people wanting to get better health and a lot of things that people eat now that they're told are healthy for them, especially any of those uh, poofers that you've been uh, rallying against for a long time now and the seeds and nuts um, and those kind of foods, they appear on a FODMAP list and the FODMAP uh, breaks the FODMAP breaks down to fermentable oligosaccharides, um, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and then the polyols, the um, sh uh, sugar alcohols. So before we get into those kind of foods, uh, what do you what do you understand, and how much uh, relevance do you give to um, this type of uh, SIBO with patients that are complaining of diarrhea or the complaining of constipation and what's your what's your approach to it um the um everything can can ferment if you aren't digesting it and some people warn against the the fodmaps as causing problems because they ferment others uh, promote uh, exactly the same um, carbohydrates and uh, oligosaccharides and so on uh, just because they do ferment uh, and release uh, short-chain <clears throat> fatty acids, uh, uh, acetate, uh, uh, butyrate, uh, and propionate in, in particular. Uh, and uh, one uh, doctrine uh, says that those are uh, beneficial, stimulating things that uh, prevent uh, bowel cancer and so on. Uh, others point out that each one of those uh, is a, a very serious potential toxin, uh, and we do absorb them. Uh, and uh, acetate, uh, uh, acetic acid, and butyric acid, and propionic acid. Uh, all have their potential uh, value, but uh, they are also uh, very well known as toxins. Uh, so uh, uh, 
generally, I'm, I'm inclined uh, to side with the people that uh, prefer not to uh, eat the things which can increase those potentially uh, toxic short-chain fatty acids uh, because you can get all your uh, nutrients uh, uh, with things that are uh, resistant to fermentation. Uh, the, the sugars, if you have normal digestive actions, uh, the sugars should be absorbed very high in the small intestine. Uh, just shortly after leaving your stomach, uh, they should be absorbed. Uh, and that area in uh, very healthy people, uh, the, the stomach and the whole small intestine are sterile. Uh, the, the sicker a person is, uh, the farther up the small intestine uh, from, from the colon, uh, the farther up the bacteria and other microbes uh, can invade and uh, uh, set up housekeeping. Uh, and uh, uh, some very uh, uh, people uh, with very weak digestion will actually have uh, fermentation going on in their stomach. Uh, mm-hmm. So that if they eat uh, sugar or, or carbohydrate, uh, they can get drunk and... Uh, have have uh, uh, alcohol production going on right in their stomach. Uh, so Interesting, you said um, the small intestine could or should be sterile in comparison to the colon, which we recognize as being the major, uh, major productive, uh, proliferative, and uh, um, populated area uh, compared to anything else you can think of, really. But um, you're thinking that the uh, you're saying that the a small intestine should essentially be relatively sterile? Um, uh, yeah, the, the very healthy, uh, something like uh, 15 or 20% of the population who are very healthy uh, have a sterile small intestine. Uh, and uh, the sicker a person is, it, it tends to increase with age as the metabolic rate slows down. Uh, the farther up in the small intestine, uh, you, you find more and more bacteria living uh, closer and closer to the stomach as a person uh, and develops poor digestion. So, so because of uh, poor motility, uh, increased transit time, and aging and decreased energy, the colonic bacteria then would have a chance to uh, migrate upwards. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, the, the digestive fluids and the enzymes uh, should uh, uh, discourage growth, uh, if not uh, uh, just directly killing uh, uh, yeast and bacteria uh, and parasites. Okay. You're listening to Ask of Dr. KMUD Garberville, 91.1 FM. Uh, from 7.30 to 8 o'clock at the end of the show, uh, you're invited to call in with questions. Dr. Ray Pete, uh, we're discussing small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, uh, generalized inflammatory processes in the GI tract, uh, and some, uh, certainly some supplemental uh, improvements that can be used, uh, both herbal as well as uh, and some antibiotics. Um, but, um, yeah, the number is 707-923-3911. Uh, and Dr. Raymond Peach joining us. Um, Dr. Peach, to, to go through uh, again how they classify um, SIBO C and SIBO D, um, they talk about <laughs> hydrogen dominant um, productive the bacteria that produce hydrogen dominantly and the bacteria that produce methane, uh, and they talk about um, hydrogen dominant bacterial colonies which are not supposed to be there, that's the whole point, um, associating the patient's symptoms with a diarrheal type uh, SIBO, and then a methane dominant species of bacteria that shouldn't be there, uh, specifically associated uh, with constipation. Uh, uh, um, I I think that's mainly because uh, methane is an anesthetic uh, uh, and uh, slows bowel uh, contractions, and uh, it uh, 
slows, slows down all biological processes and uh, uh, decreases the metabolic rate. So it's natural that it should tend to, towards uh, constipation. So, um, so for the 80, 20% of people have sterile intestine, what, what should the rest of us do? 80% of the population that doesn't have a sterile small intestine, what are we to do to help keep the bacterial overgrowth down in our small intestine? Um, uh, do you remember Dennis Burkett who uh, studied the, uh, the diet effects and uh, a particular type of tumor in Africa? He, yeah. uh, he popularized the use of, of a high-fiber diet in the U.S., uh, when, he, when he reported on uh, the health benefits of the African diet, uh, and uh, pointed out that Africans, uh, uh, on their typical diet, has a 12-hour transit time, uh, where the average American has a 72-hour uh, transit time, uh, half a day versus three days, uh, for something to get processed and get out of you. Uh, and so naturally, the, the African with uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, very short duration uh, doesn't give uh, putrefaction or fermentation uh, a chance to go very far. Uh, and uh, the, the famous uh, people who popularized uh, yogurt in the diet as a way to suppress uh, putrefaction uh, 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 for example, Metchnikoff uh, and Bogo Mollet, uh, 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 early in the 20th century and, and end of the 19th century, uh, uh, they studied uh, different animals uh, that had short or long lifespans, uh, and uh, they argued that uh, the animals with a short intestine, uh, a colon that uh, just very quickly eliminated and didn't store for a long time uh, the processed food. Uh, th those were the long-lived animals. Uh, th those with a long intestine and uh, a lo long retention uh, of uh, the putrefying material in the intestine, those were shorter-lived. So I saw um, hypothyroidism as one of the um, predisposing factors um, to SIBO in the population, along with uh, things like chronic pancreatitis uh, and motor disorders like Parkinson's disease and fibromyalgia. And I saw IBS and fibromyalgia were fairly intimately linked, and there was cause for investigating um, gastric or intestinal uh, dysmotility with fibromyalgia patients. But Parkinson's, that's interesting from a a motor neuron um, perspective in terms of slowing um, muscular contraction along the uh, GI tract for the constipatory um, side of it. Um, yeah, I think it's the constipation leading to the neurological problem. And traditionally, they've been thinking of Parkinson's disease as a deficiency of dopamine but dopamine and serotonin are an antagonistic pair, and really the evidence, I think, more strongly indicates that Parkinson's is related to a serotonin excess than just a dopamine deficiency. And a few people have argued that serotonin can't get from your uh, intestines, your brain, uh, but uh, there, there is actual evidence uh, that uh, if you have an excess, uh, an undetoxified amount of serotonin in the bloodstream, it uh, can get into the brain and shift the balance away from dopamine. And you've always said that the bulk of the serotonin you produce is produced in the bowel, correct? 95% of it. Yeah. Okay. And, I, and it's produced serotonin. We're thought is, or we've been told, 
for the last 30 years that serotonin is the feel-good hormone and it's good for you. But that's what you view and, uh, well, scientists view serotonin as a major inflammatory compound and actually the antidepressants that are supposed to be increasing serotonin, they've now, um, uh, they've retracted that statement and scientists are now saying that serotonin is not blocked by the uh, antidepressants like SSRI. So how did that go wrong there and why is serotonin so inflammatory? Uh, um, its natural function in the bowel is to cause contractions and secretion when the bowel is irritated. Irritation can be mechanical or chemical or biological, but the intestine knows it wants to get rid of something toxic and harmful. So it produces serotonin that causes intense contractions and secretions and should wash the toxin out of the bowel. Uh, but if you get a chronic uh, uh, in inflammation and irritation, uh, you just get a, a chronic uh, uh, moderate excess uh, of serotonin uh, that can, can cause uh, uh, usually just periodic uh, uh, cyclic uh, 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 diarrhea uh, uh, alternating with, with constipation. So everyone who's had car sickness can, uh, can relate to high ser the feeling of high serotonin where your intestines are cramping and you feel nauseous. That's all from serotonin, correct? Uh, yeah, and one of the effects of serotonin is anxiety. Uh, it, uh, that's now being more and more recognized uh, rather than... Uh, sleep-inducing, it can cause insomnia and anxiety, and the bowel has a big role in that. So what do you think, Dr. Pete, if I can question you about some of the, I guess we'll start, can I just start with the, uh, the FODMAP um, kind of criteria that the, um, the medical industry use as a guidance, uh, and then ask you a little bit about um, the breath testing results that, that seem to be somewhat um, somewhat disparaging in terms of they're, they're not completely conclusive by any means, but in conjunction with symptoms can lead to a, a diagnosis and then perhaps the treatment options will be more fairly um, squared away towards solving it. But in, in terms of the, the foods that they talk about that are predisposing to these fermentable uh, oligosaccharides and dying monosaccharides. Um, I, I think they, avoidance of, of many of them is very reasonable. Uh, they recommend against beans and lentils, for example, uh, and nuts and wheat and rye. Uh, all of those things are have other harmful effects uh, as well as the uh, fermentable carbohydrates. But they do this milk. I mean, that's the thing. I, mean, I just wanted to ask you about, and it's not all dairy, because they say that even butter and cheese is very low uh, in FODMAP um, equivalents, and that cow's milk, essentially, and custard and things that are made from milk uh, are quoted as high. And I work with a lot of people um, who want to... They're, they're, they are sure, fairly sure, that they are lactose intolerant, and obviously uh, a large mainstay of your nutritional advice, which is very supportive and produces a balanced diet in terms of vitamins and nutrients uh, from a fairly select source of foods. Milk is one of those um, food groups for which uh, you're a big advocate of drinking milk. Um, and then so, so how, how do you feel about people that come, come over with a, a quote-unquote milk intolerance because most published papers seem to suggest that most people can actually drink a reasonable amount of milk and it's not until they're drinking large amount of milks um, that the FODMAP uh, components of the milk uh, are a problem. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think uh, there's a kind of cultish fear of milk uh, that gets mixed up with the research and even lactose intolerant people uh, can tolerate a, a moderate amount 
small cups Especially if several times a day. they start with a small amount, right, Dr. P? If they start with a small amount every day and increase it, then they will start developing over the period of two to four weeks lactase, which is the enzyme required to digest lactose. But if they haven't been drinking milk, your body won't make enough lactase to digest a glass all of a sudden. Uh, yeah, the, there were studies done in ethnic Chinese people in California uh, in, introducing milk uh, to people who thought they were lactose intolerant. Uh, and in uh, a few weeks, uh, taking uh, maybe half a glass at a time, uh, they were able to induce the enzymes. Uh, there's probably nothing in the body that isn't inducible given uh, the appropriate uh, circumstances. The, the, the uh, babies need to uh, process uh, the milk diet, uh, and if they totally go without uh, milk, uh, then it's natural that they would uh, adapt away the uh, digestive enzymes relevant to milk. But uh, the, the experiments show that uh, so far everyone can... Uh, induce, uh, again, the uh, lactase enzymes. So for, for somebody with, uh, for example, um, people that will disclose that they notice a definite change in bowel uh, habits when they are drinking milk um, and seem to, seem to imply that the milk is um, uh, tending to, in them to produce kind of pellet stools, that that type, I mean, that's not the type of constipation that we are talking about associated with SIBO uh, constipation. But what do you think is happening in that instance in terms of their bowel bacteria? you think it's the bowel bacteria that are responsible for changes in the, in the stool itself, or has there any other mechanism by which the uh, proteins in the milk are made? There are several possibilities, including uh, the pasture, the foods that the cow gets, uh, sometimes they are very allergenic, uh, and the person with uh, allergies to those uh, plants, uh, if the cow is eating them, uh, the milk will uh, trigger those allergies. Especially like if someone's very gluten sensitive and the cow's fed wheat, then it can come through the milk and make a person react poorly to that milk. Right. So, same, same with breast milk. If uh, if the mother uh, is eating a lot of allergenic foods, uh, uh, peanuts, for example, uh, the baby will often get constipated. Okay. So looking looking at um, possible uh, diagnostic techniques for people that would be interested in taking uh, this conversation further. If those people that are listening perhaps um, have really uh, had a bout of fairly chronic uh, GI disturbance leading to either chronic diarrhea and or chronic constipation with little changing it in terms of anything they never tried. Uh, the, uh, checking, checking their body temperature is a good first step because uh, hypometabolism uh, usually because of thyroid deficiency, uh, sometimes uh, from other nutrient uh, deficiencies. Uh, but uh, the hypometabolism uh, lowers your body temperature and at the same time uh, makes your tissues over-sensitive to irritation. Uh, uh, so uh, just by increasing your body temperature, uh, getting enough easily absorbed uh, uh, glucose and fructose uh, from sucrose, for example, uh, the, the uh, heat-producing uh, effect of, of those carbohydrates uh, uh, can be enough to raise your body temperature, uh, reduce the inflammation, uh, and make your intestine uh, go more smoothly. Do you, let me ask you this then. Um, the, um, all, the papers, all the papers that I've read that have looked at SIBO uh, um, really from 20, 20, 2003 till 2021 and that have been done very recently, uh, seem to agree on a microbiome that has been deranged and they look at 
two particular species of bacteria, the uh, proteobacteria and the firmicutes, um, the kind of Escherichia klebsiella aeromonas species of bacteria, saying that um, in patients with um, SIBO, there's a relative decrease in the firmicutes bacteria with an increase in the proteobacteria and the converse in non-SIBO um, patients. Do, do you think there's anything, I was to ask you a question about cascara and bowel antibiotic activity of cascara, but do you think there's anything, uh, what would you think of in terms of wanting to, and it brings up the other question I was going to ask about um, probiotic use uh, and how I think perhaps some people may have experimented with probiotics and gotten definite changes in bowel habits and sometimes not for the good. But in terms of looking at the bacterial colonies that they've done studies on with SIBO and non-SIBO patients, this is definite. they seem to have a definite consensual agreement on these two particular types of bacteria being in deranged proportions. Would you, would you be looking at anything other than an antibiotic, which is what they now um, coming up with, they've said that this antibiotic is particularly effective um, in doing, uh, in basically cleansing the bowel. But um, would you think of anything else? And that's why I mentioned cascara and/or probiotics. And what do you think about their use in gastrointestinal disorders like SIBO or IBS? Uh, the cascara accelerates the movement through the intestine as well as uh, reducing inflammation and uh, maintaining. Uh, oxidative energy production, but uh, uh, com completely indigestible uh, fiber, uh, specifically uh, uh, cellulose. Uh, the, the bulk effect can stimulate uh, peristalsis and uh, speed the, the movement through the intestine, uh, uh, re reducing the chance uh, for uh, toxic fermentation. Uh, and uh, making sure that your uh, nutrients, uh, calcium and vitamin D, are anti-inflammatory uh, necessities. Uh, uh, thyroid uh, is anti-inflammatory, and the flavonoids, uh, uh, one of the reasons I recommend uh, orange juice and, and uh, milk is that they are both good sources of flavonoids, uh, without uh, any of the toxic uh, irritants that you find in uh, some of the flavonoid-rich uh, foods, uh, uh, leaves and, and uh, some green vegetables that are rich in, in flavonoids also contain irritants. Uh, but, but orange juice is a, a very wide-spectrum anti-inflammatory and uh, energy-producing food. Okay. So I think the whole premise about eating foods that don't feed bacteria, like avoiding the refined processed grains and um, starches, is that then you'll have a reduction in bacteria in your small intestine as well as your large intestine. And that's why you also recommend antibacterial foods like grated raw carrot, bamboo shoots, well-cooked mushrooms, oat bran in some uh, instances to help increase the transit time as well as to act as a natural, gentle antimicrobial in both places because there'll be antimicrobial in the small intestine as well as the large intestine, correct? Uh, yeah, and aspirin sometimes is a big help to decrease the bacterial activity. You all have a caller. Okay, good. Well, let me just uh, start by saying this. You're listening to Ask Your Herb Dr. K, Moody Garberville, 91.1 FM. Uh, it's now 7.30 or thereabouts, and uh, you're welcome to call in with questions uh, for Dr. Raymond Pete. And the number is 707-923-3911. And we have our first caller. Caller, where are you from? What's your question? Yes, sir. Uh, I'm calling from Redwood, California. Uh, I eat primarily 70% vegetables, 20% dairy, cheese, yogurt. I also make a homemade flax soda bread, and then the other 10% is like salad dressings. This is like my summertime eating method, and uh, I use a sweetener that is stevia. 
And when I usually finish off the meal, there's usually a tiny trace of some sort of sweetener like sugar or some other sweetener, honey, that may be in that. So I finish off the meal with, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher this Latin word, so pardon me, pa de arco. Yeah. Okay. And it's an Amazonian... Uh, sure, tapabui. Yeah, tapabui in Patagonosa. Yeah, so, so the, answer, the question was, is that good? Okay, well, everyone has different, uh, different ideas about good nutrition, but 70% vegetable, uh, I know, Dr. Pete, you would definitely recommend well cooking those, and 20% dairy, um, I'm not too sure what you think about that, high or low. And obviously, from a herbal point of view, um, Pau de Arco has been well known uh, as an anti-inflammatory, anti-cancer. And in fact, last month's radio show, we mentioned uh, Pau de Arco and those dark uh, red pigments that come from either a ethanol extraction or even simply decocting um, the herb and how they have an electronic activity that is a very anti-inflammatory uh, activity in these substances, Lepacho and others that have been isolated. But Dr. P, as a mainstay uh, nutritional breakdown, 70% veg, 20% dairy, uh, soda bread, and very, very little sugars in the form of stevia? Um, I'm, I'm not sure that stevia is safe in large quantities, but a small amount is probably okay. And uh, uh, soda bread, uh, does that mean that it's a, a baking, baking powder, quick rising? Uh, mm. That tends to leave uh, most of the uh, gluten intact, but if it agrees with your intestine, doesn't cause inflammation, uh, then... Uh, that means your your bowel health is pretty good, uh, and uh, cooked, very well cooked vegetables uh, are are fine uh, uh, if a person doesn't have any uh, problem uh, with them. The one thing I would um, think with an analysis of that is the protein. I'm not sure where your protein's coming up from besides the dairy. You include eggs in your diet and or um, any type of shellfish or other nutrient-rich proteins? Uh, engineer, I don't know if we have the caller on the, on the line still. or they hung up or? Okay, well, maybe, uh, maybe that call is uh, not on the air anymore. I'm not too sure. So the engineer is not responding with the fact yep. that they are or aren't. So no, they're, they're, I'm not too sure. They hung up. Okay. okay, okay. Well, anyway, let me just uh, say once again, you listen to Ask Your Doctor, KMD Galvo, 91.1 FM. From now until the end of the show, you're invited to call in the questions uh, related or unrelated to this month's subject of SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and GI upset, and number 707 923-3911. Okay, actually, this caller came back. Okay. We'll go ahead, sir. Hi, caller? Yes, are you there? Yes. You can hear me. Okay, so great. You, You're coming in you very faint. Did you hear um, Dr. Pete's answer? Uh, yes, uh, I, I just wanted to answer his question. He asked if the bread was baked, if I had any distress. No, uh, our family... A lot of our family are Scottish-Irish, so it's something that they've... It's been a tradition in our family for a very long time, since my father. Um, and the other question was... Well, you go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I just was wondering um, if... Yeah, per protein you have... Do we include eggs in your diet or uh, other... Yes, yes I, I eat a lot of eggs. Okay. I don't know if that was included in the 20% dairy... Well, that that was included in the the other thirty percent, you know, the, like the salad dressings, the miscellaneous uh, cheese, etc. That was part of that thirty okay. percent. Okay, good. Well, thanks for your call, and um, hope you have a good night. Thank you. Okay, so Dr. P, uh, to just wrap up uh, on the uh, SIBO diagnosis and or then further on treatment before uh, we get into the. Uh, other subject here that I think we'll begin with, but then we'll wrap up uh, and talk more extensively on next month uh, in terms of transhumanism and the coming change in 
corporate structures of treating us as people with medicines that are questionable medicines. Um, what do you think about the um, use then? Obviously, there's one particular antibiotic uh, used which is getting pretty good uh, success in treating SIBO by deranging, again, bowel bacteria. Do you think um, the probiotics that are labeled probiotics with typical species that would normally reside in the bowel as being positive uh, in terms of uh, recolonizing and, and safely changing the flora because it really is a, a balancing act which which does not want any uh, unwanted bacteria you know, to take out permanent residence. That's exactly how uh, SIBO starts in the first place. What do you think of uh, antibiotics? I know we all agree that antibiotics are a very good a very good form of treatment for a lot of different things, um, but antibiotics and recolonization. Uh, uh, there are several uh, bacteria in particular, uh, some fungus, uh, that uh, produce uh, antibiotics themselves. Uh, and uh, uh, so uh, they are a combination of uh, probiotic and antibiotic. Uh, they kill off uh, a lot of harmful bacteria by uh, antibiotics that they are, are producing. Uh, but uh, the, um, uh, you can usually tell uh, within a few hours if an antibiotic supplement is, is going to help your uh, digestive sim symptoms. Uh, uh, I, I think there's too much rigmarole in the diagnosis of digestive problems. Uh, uh, a lot of people uh, have forgotten or, or never realized that uh, tapping your abdomen in different places, you can identify whether you uh, have a fluid accumulation or, or just gas. Uh, you can identify a pocket of gas. Uh, sometimes it's where uh, you wouldn't expect it to be, uh, it sh should be uh, just just in the colon area. Uh, but um, if you're getting gas uh, throughout your small intestine, uh, that will uh, make your whole belly uh, resound like a watermelon. Uh, just to be, uh, just to uh, confirm this, most people don't think that gas production, obviously apart from its social uh, disagreement is a problem but you should not produce gas period right I mean you, it's just not there's nothing good about it uh, no and in fact too much methane has has those uh, stasis producing effects leading to constipation and the diagnosis if you find methane in your breath or coming out of your skin and so on, it doesn't prove that you have uh, methane-producing bacteria because uh, our own mitochondria, uh, when they're under stress, uh, like in the presence of, of uh, drinking too much alcohol, uh, our own mitochondria uh, produce uh, considerable amounts of methane. Uh, so... Any stress can lead to methane appearing in all of our secretions. So when you mention different fungi that can act as a, um, a probiotic and an antibiotic, are you referring to species like the Saccharomyces boulardii? Uh, yeah. Or are you, are yeah. you thinking of other species? Uh, no, that's the only one I know of. Okay. So what do you think about, let me quickly ask you what you think about um, garlic and allicin uh, extract rich garlic because in England there's a company that's uh, been producing this for some time now and um, got a lot of fanfare about it in terms of uh, correcting uh, intestinal dysbiosis. Uh, obviously it's got a very strong sulfur uh, moiety attached to it which 
uh, is credited you know, some of its activity. But uh, I think I don't. I'm, I'm right in thinking that you believe that a lot of people are fairly reactive to garlic in terms of its irritating effects, and not not just its social effects. But what do you think about um, the compound allicin and garlic in general, the sulfhydryl compounds? Yeah, the, those hot compounds can be harmful to your stomach and, and intestine if you eat large amounts of them. They, they do kill bacteria, but they also can kill your uh, uh, digestive system, uh, uh, epithelial cells. I think the highest rate of stomach cancer in the world is Bhutan. My friend visited Bhutan, and their diet consists of a lot of chili peppers, and they have the highest rate of stomach cancer. So. Uh, yeah, Central America has a lot of stomach cancer associated with hot chilies. Okay, well, I just wanted to um, bring out the other compounds that would be useful in terms of uh, its antibacterial effect, and certainly uh, there are papers uh, written that suggest that um, Berberis vulgaris uh, containing the alkaloid berberine uh, is very useful in the treatment of SIBO, uh, and to some extent hydrastis, golden seal containing berberine also uh, is used, but berberine hydrochloride, I think, is the main uh, component. Okay, so uh, let's let's just uh, open up the topic um, uh, for those who are listening and have listened to the all oh, the previous nine months or ten months or so that we've been discussing COVID-19 and uh, all of the nefarious activity, both in the origin of it and the cover-up, and then the cover-up for the simple, safe, and effective treatment of it rather than any biological agent, which is called a vaccine, but which defies any of the uh, parameters of the vaccine's definition. <clears throat> the, um, the, coming, the coming transhumanism, uh, I've heard, I've heard uh, people like Alex Jones in the past, a long time ago when I used to listen to him, um, he talked about transhumanism 15, <laughs> 10, 15 years ago. And uh, here we are, uh, and we see people like Elon Musk rising to uh, these kind of heights through his industries, becoming a figure of public importance, uh, obviously cautioning us about uh, <laughs> artificial intelligence, certainly. Um, but the things like implantable chips uh, that you put in your brain, you know, he's talking about neuro biology and wiring people's brains to these uh, implantable chips that will give them quote-unquote superhuman power. Um, and that um, part and parcel of the COVID-19 debate lies in the technology used to produce this experimental drug, which they call the vaccine, the, the mRNA vaccine. But um, your thoughts on the that the changes that society is going through, and it's undoubtable that we can ignore or deny that society has gone through probably one of the greatest upheavals uh, psychologically and socially uh, than has happened really since uh, either the, probably the Second World War. Uh, it's been a long time since such a great upheaval has happened, and now we're being told that the platform, uh, the mRNA platform upon which this experimental drug has been cheaply and easily and quickly scaled up to such um, numbers that they can distribute it worldwide. Uh, the collaboration with two other countries, um, Italy uh, and the other country uh, was uh, Switzerland, I think. But the, the manufacture of these mRNA vaccines, I won't call them vaccines, these mRNA experimental drugs, is going to increase to any and every disease that you can think of, um, and yet... The whole platform, the mRNA platform, is, quote, unquote, giving us over to genetic changes that are essentially going to put us at risk as a species moving forward, and it's not going to stop. I've um, been, for several months, looking for what the actual scientific rationale might be for shifting from traditional vaccines killed or inactivated bacteria or viruses, for example. What the reason was for this sudden shift of all of the vaccine companies towards a nucleic acid? Which, well, they want to say time, don't they? Uh, uh, what? 
they want to say they want to argue that the time to produce that is why they've done it because it's so quick to do it this way. I mean, isn't that the? I, I, I don't think there has been any clear scientific explanation for why they did it. You can shortcut all of the traditional methods of making vaccines. What they did was skip ordinary animal and safety testing to speed it up. But when you look at the individuals behind these companies, you see that years ago they were talking about genetic engineering. And then in justifying why they have come up with the RNA vaccines, they are describing them as changing our genetic operating system, treating us like a computer and simply improving our operating system, changing the genome is in the context of all of these people justifying why they would use nucleic acids instead of traditional activators of the immune system. So we are becoming the genetically modified organism. We might vote to block the production of genetically modified organism enhanced food, but now we are becoming the genetically modified organism. Yeah, and when Tony Fauci heard the suggestions of the evidence that the RNA can be copied back, reverse transcribed into our DNA. He said that doesn't happen, it can't happen, and so on. He indicated either total ignorance of 50 years of nucleic acid research showing that we do, everyone contains the reverse transcriptase, which whenever RNA enters a cell, a foreign type of it, it's able to be transcribed into DNA. And the DNA can, it doesn't have to enter the nucleus even. It can be a perpetual part of the cell, an inherited part of the cell, even though it was transcribed from a foreign added RNA or other nucleic acid. So they might try to tell you that it's it's not permanent and your body will stop producing it, but what you're saying is 50 years of research has shown that these changes can very easily become permanent. Uh, yeah, and there have been demonstrations that our exosome system, which is designed to create these little particles like viruses to communicate proteins and genetic information from one cell to other cells that aren't differentiated properly. An internal regulatory system of our own genes, that has been demonstrated to be open to receiving foreign DNA and RNA and packaging it in exosomes so that we participate, our own mechanism becomes like a virus factory, copying and spreading the foreign DNA or RNA. Now this is this is exactly what um, Tal Zaks, the former CEO of Moderna, was quoted as saying that same thing in 2017 when he was uh, interviewed. Um, there's a there's a uh, article online that is a, basically a transcript of the interview, um, and mentioning that this platform, the mRNA platform, is can be so rapidly scaled up, it's so cheap, it's so quick, and is going to be the future. Uh, he was questioned about the whole thing about uh, integrating a DNA or from RNA into us and actually changing us genomically. Uh, and we would have uh, hereditary consequences. And he said the same thing that you've said, that Fauci has said, that it's not possible, it doesn't happen, don't worry about it. 
Uh, uh, yeah, and he's actually an oncologist. And, uh, he was uh, proposing genetic engineering as cancer treatment. And, and uh, years ago, uh, I think Biden was the uh, uh, instigator or the, the figurehead for the idea, uh, the, the uh, cancer moonshot, they called it, uh, which was based on uh, basically genetic engineering on an individual basis uh, to change the genes of your cancer. So the uh, the other thing that um, the other thing that I, uh, I kind of thought about we've we've mentioned this since March since we just started doing the uh, Ask Your Herb Doctor shows based around COVID and um, just showing all the time that this mortality was actually very low and that there was definitely uh, optional treatments like hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin from the very beginning. Uh, and the whistleblower doctors who said that these things were effective, and then you know they carried on talking about these same treatments, which are very inexpensive, very safe, and very effective. And we don't need uh, this experimental drug. Uh, leads me on to think about the whole, uh, you know, Codus Alimentarius and the World Economic Forum being a platform upon which governments will well, not will, probably are superseding uh, citizens of countries in tandem, in concert with other governments. And it is certainly not a conspiracy theory, folks. It's a reality, and there's plenty of evidence to show and support that. Uh, we're not spouting uh, scary stories here. It's just, just factual evidence. Uh, I think, as, as you mentioned, Dr. Pete, probably in the next two to five years, uh, will get borne out with any increased deaths that uh, would come about from either um, exposure to other regular flus as a result of the enhanced uh, activity of the immune system through this experimental drug, um, but basically to life in general and our lifestyles um, being forced into a certain direction. And this is um, the humanism uh, part of what I want to get into with you next month in more detail and just lay it out for people because the shows are listened to and uh, certainly the audio archives uh, are listened to and the internet is full of these interviews that we've done with you on YouTube and other areas. So it's not like it's going to go away and it's been laid down for right now and people will, will hear it through as time goes on. The truth will come out a little bit like some of the atrocities of the uh, Second World War and other instances. Uh, where this activity was shouted about, but no one listened, but afterwards it, it all came out and they had to agree that what was being shouted was actually the truth. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Pete. Okay, thank um, you. It's, it's three minutes to the hour, so rather than uh, anything else carrying on, I'd rather give people your information, uh, point them to where they can find out more about you, uh, and to uh, thank you so much for your time on the show tonight. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Pete. Good night. Good night. So for people who've uh, listened to the show this evening, um, more more can be found out about Dr. Pete and his, uh, his 40, 50-year uh, work uh, here on Earth. His website is www.raypete.com, uh, and you can find out lots of uh, reference articles that he's written. He's been... Um, working in this field of alternative science to the narrative for 30 years or more, um, working with people and uh, counseling, etc. Uh, and we've certainly uh, enjoyed our time with him. He's been very eye-opening in lots of things that we thought were true, but have been educated uh, beyond that and are now seeing that we are not the conspiracists, but actually the people with some of the more important information. Um, so my name is Andrew Murray. My name is Sarah Johansson Murray. Thank you for listening this evening, and we hope you have a great solstice. Uh, and we can also be looked at. Our website is uh, westernbotanicalmedicine.com. And uh, until the third Friday of next month, July, uh, we will be picking up on this transhumanism uh, subject and looking at particularly uh, the science that's pushing uh, us forward in this direction. I'm not saying we will want to go in it, but I think unfortunately... Uh, is going to be taking people. Um, so until this same time next month, the third Friday next month, good night. Good night.
Okay, so I failed to read the cards at the top of the hour, so I want to let you know that Herbal Med RX creates organic herbal products, including bath and body oils, salves, deodorants, herbal teas, CBD products, essential oil blends, and more. Visit www.herbalmedrx.com to see all products and events. You can reach Sue Lukasha at Herbal Med RX by phone at 